all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. Good morning and thank you for tuning in to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And this is the first Monday of February. And so we're going to be talking about heart health because hearts and red are everywhere this month. And we need to talk about how we can keep our heart healthy for the long haul. If you've got questions or comments about heart health, I would uh, love to hear those today. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring it's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, and my email is fit at mpbonline.org. We'll be back after the news. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at UMMC. And we are kicking off February talking about heart health. So February is American Heart Month. And so that's what we want to talk about uh, today, how to keep our heart healthy and some strategies that you can incorporate into your daily lives to, to help with that, as well as some myths surrounding heart disease um, and just some good old uh, practical advice on how to keep our heart healthy. If you have questions or comments, I'd love to hear those today. My number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. Six seven two seven four six four. As always, you can send me an email. The, that address is fit at mpbonline.org. And so I want to spend uh, the first few minutes talking about uh, what I mean by heart disease and why we have a whole month uh, dedicated to heart health. So heart disease um, is generally considered uh, anything that affects the heart and the blood vessels um, that the heart uh, that uses to carry blood around. So heart attacks um, are one of the main things we talk about with heart health, but we've also got to think about the things leading up to a heart attack that we can work on and change and decrease our risk of having that heart attack. And that's things like uh, high blood pressure and high cholesterol, which I'm going to spend some time talking about today. Um, and then also stroke uh, can be very closely tied in with that as well, which, you know, stroke, uh, we often think of as a brain attack, which results either from a bleed in the brain or from um, something keeping the blood from reaching the brain appropriately. And that's usually because some of the vessels are stopped up. Uh, with plaque, which directly relates back to that heart disease. So that's kind of what it is. And, you know, why are we so uh, concerned with it? Well, heart disease is the number one killer of Americans. Um, We tend to um, think about 
cause of death is more uh, cancer-related deaths, and they're certainly uh, high on the list. But the number one cause of death for both men and women uh, is heart disease. So when we look at it collectively for men and women together, it's heart disease. When we look at it for men heart disease, when we look at it for women, heart disease. And so, you know, what exactly do I mean by the number one killer? Well, one in four deaths in America. So 25% of the deaths in America, we can tie back to heart disease. And um, the majority of those can be prevented uh, doing uh, some different lifestyle changes, which, you know, I love lifestyle changes, practicing lifestyle medicine every day. And we'll talk about some of the things that I teach patients um, as we're moving through those lifestyle changes. Another uh, statistic that kind of paints how uh, dangerous and how prevalent heart disease is, is that every 40 seconds, a person in the United States has a heart attack. That is uh, actually boggling when you stop to think about the number of people who are having a heart attack, uh, one every 40 seconds. So the the problem is very, very rampant, uh, and their chances are very good that you know someone who has uh, heart disease, whether it's um, having had a heart attack or a stroke or just have high blood pressure, high cholesterol type of things. And so... Um, I'm here to take your questions or your comments about that. Again, that number's um, 1-877-672-7464. Um, I'd also love to hear your stories. If, you're, um, if you've been affected by heart disease, um, I would love to hear um, kind of your story, and I'm sure our listeners would as well. So we've talked about what heart disease is, how many people it affects, and now I want to spend um, a couple of minutes talking about some myths that are associated with heart disease because they uh, there are many, and we're going to uh, hit on the, the top couple of myths, especially things that I see in clinic or that people um, ask me questions about when I'm at uh, speaking events and um, or on the radio. So um, one of the ones that I hear a lot is uh, I'm too young to worry about heart disease. And so um, we tend to think of heart disease as a disorder or a disease of the uh, elderly or of the older population, and that's just simply not the case. So um, for several reasons, behavior which is one of the you know the biggest drivers of our actual lifestyle choices, what we eat, what we drink, whether we're active, um, how much we're sleeping, all of those different things. Um, those behaviors start in childhood. And so um, developing uh, less than healthy behaviors early on in childhood makes it much harder to change those behaviors as we get older. And we do know that if we uh, actually looked at the uh, plaque formation, which the plaque that I'm talking about is not the plaque that's on your teeth. I'm talking about the plaque um, that builds up in our arteries that keeps the blood from flowing around like it should. That plaque development can actually start in adolescence. Um, so in those teenage years, we can start to accrue that kind of stuff. So that by the time we are... Uh, Young to middle adulthood, we've got some significant plaque buildup in there as well as some of the other conditions that go along with it like high blood pressure and uh, diabetes as well. So it's not just something that we get once we get old 
the groundwork for heart disease has been uh, laid all throughout our uh, life. And you know, now we're seeing children that are much younger um, that are uh, having problems with overweight and obesity, children that are uh, developing type 2 diabetes. And all of the risk factors for overweight and obesity, as well as type 2 diabetes, are the same risk factors that we have for heart disease. So uh, not a great diet, not being physically active, smoking, um, uh, more than uh, a moderate consumption of alcohol, all of those things play in uh, to the development of not only overweight and obesity, but also uh, diabetes and then heart disease as well. So you can't be too young to start thinking about uh, your heart disease risks and how to prevent those things from happening. Uh, the other thing I hear a lot is um, I can't have heart disease because if I had heart disease, I would know I would have some type of symptom. And that's uh, not really true either. Um, the way that heart disease often starts is with high blood pressure. And high blood pressure is known as the silent killer because there just aren't really any symptoms out there, especially when um, blood pressure first starts to be too high um, or um, when that's the only finding that you have is just having a high blood pressure. So a lot of folks tend to think that high blood pressure causes things like um, headaches or blurry vision. Um, and absolutely blood pressure can do that. Um, the blood pressure is usually a little bit higher um, uh, when we see symptoms like that. And those are usually not what we call the presenting symptoms. So usually not what brings people in to see a healthcare provider. Uh, we usually find an elevated blood pressure incidentally, meaning you came in for something else, maybe a sinus infection or stomach virus or just your annual wellness checkup. And we notice that your blood pressure is a little bit too high. So um, we can't wait for symptoms to develop because once symptoms develop, then that uh, high blood pressure has gone on and progressed uh, to the point where we now uh, have some damage done somewhere. And by the time we start to have symptoms, it usually means we've got some damage uh, going on somewhere. So, you know, those are probably the two most common um, myths that I see related to heart disease. There are many, many, many more. Um, one that uh, I, I see often goes along with diabetes. Um, when I have folks who have diabetes, they'll, they tell me that, well, as long as I take my medication and my blood sugar is under control, then my heart um, is fine. Absolutely taking your blood pressure, I mean, taking your uh, blood sugar medicine and keeping your blood sugar under control, it, it's very crucial for your overall health. But we have to think about, uh, again, some of those risk factors that led to the development of diabetes are often risk factors that lead to the development of heart disease as well. And so just because um, our medication is keeping our blood sugar in the normal range, if perhaps we're still not eating quite as well as we should, or we're not active, or we're smoking, those things are still contributing to the increased risk of uh, heart disease. So yes, keep your blood sugar under control, but we've also got to modify some of those other risk factors to produce the best overall outcome for our heart health. So it's it's more of a total package thing and not just thinking of it um, in terms of individual disorders, but how those things all relate together, how they all tie in together. 
and how it just overall relates to uh, good health. We're going to talk some more about some of those myths as we uh, move through our next segment, but we're going to stop now and take a quick break. Now's a perfect time to give me a call if you've got a question or a comment. That number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 I'll be back after the break. Dr. Josie Bidwell, nurse practitioner at UMMC, and we're talking about heart health today because it is the first Monday of February, and February is American Heart Month. So while we see all of the uh, red and pink and hearts everywhere at the store, don't just think about Valentine's Day and all that candy. Think about the the heart beating right inside your chest and how we need to take care of it because we only get the one. Uh, So we need to take care of it for the long haul. Uh, If you want to give us a call, if you have a question, a comment, or a story about um, heart health, our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. And my email is fit at mpbonline.org. We've been talking about some of the myths uh, around heart disease before the break, and I'll continue talking about some of those in a minute. But uh, I do want to talk about an email that I got. So I usually post my topic out on social media the morning of, and I usually get some some questions and comments and some emails that come through from that. And one I got was about measuring blood pressure at home. And so that's something that we absolutely recommend that people do to measure their um, blood pressure at home and check it and keep a log book of that. Uh, Some people have what we call white coat hypertension, meaning when they come in to see us in the doctor's office, um, their blood pressure is high. And they say, well, you know, when I check it at home, it it looks it looks fine. Uh, And so, you know, I always uh, make the joke, well, I don't wear a white coat, so don't be scared of me. But it doesn't necessarily work that way. Um, the two things to make sure um, with that is that you're checking your pressure at home the correct way using the correct um, type of device um, and that your machine is calibrated. And by calibrated, I mean, is it is it right? Is the number that it puts out on there actually what your blood pressure is? And one of the best ways to make sure that machine is calibrated is to bring it on in uh, to the doctor's office and let us uh, check a pressure with your machine in our office and then check it with our machine and see if those numbers match. Because if they do, then that means that it's probably accurate when you check that pressure at home and we can believe the fact that your blood pressures are lower at home. Um, some of the other things uh, for those home measurements of blood pressure is using the uh, right kind of device. I get asked about wrist cuffs a lot. So that's the um, blood pressure cuff that goes around the wrist uh, and, and takes a measurement that way. 
I tend to not recommend those and not love those as much just because they're a little bit more temperamental. So um, the vessels, the blood vessels, which are, are what we're getting the readings from, the pressure that's going through those vessels, those vessels in your wrist are a little closer to the surface um, of your body. And that that's a little narrower channel that they're running through in your wrist. So sometimes the pressure readings will be higher in the wrist than they are um, in, in the upper arm where we normally take it. And also positioning of the arm tends to be a problem sometimes. To get a really good accurate blood pressure measurement, we want the arm to be um, about level um, with your actual heart. And so that tends to be a little bit harder um, doing a wrist cuff than doing a uh, arm cuff. So I usually recommend those arm cuffs um, for folks at home. And then other things to do is check that pressure at the relatively the same time every day. So don't compare morning pressures to afternoon pressures. Look for your trend um, at the same time. And then make sure that your feet are flat on the floor. So no crossed legs or anything like that, because that will make blood pressure uh, be too high. Um, no talking while you're having your blood pressure uh, taken as well. And close your eyes and take some nice deep breaths and find your happy spot. So all of those are good ways to get um, a better, more accurate blood pressure reading. We're going to go uh, to the phone lines and talk with uh, Sue in Beaumont. Good morning, Miss Sue. Good morning. I-, I wanted to ask you a question. Sure. You, in, in the, you were talking about children and mm-hmm. uh, how we probably... Nobody eats right anymore without right. sugar, salt, mm-hmm. fat, saturated, saturated diets. And how early should children be tested for any signs of heart disease? Because I heard on, on some blurb on television mm-hmm. about a 13-year-old was suspected of having a heart attack. Yeah. Is that too early? I mean, how, how soon should you start checking for their cholesterol levels and heart functions yeah. and all that? Yeah, absolutely. So pretty much past the age of two to three, we go ahead and start monitoring blood pressure in children. And so they should get a blood pressure check at, you know, each of their um, well child visits when they go in for for that annual physical. As far as um, cholesterol, we usually recommend at least one check of cholesterol between the ages of nine and 11. Um, So we go ahead and do a cholesterol check at that point. And then it's going to be a little bit more personalized after that, depending on you know, whether they're overweight, whether their blood pressure is a little bit higher than we would like for it to be, and their family history as well. Um, but everybody should get that for at least a cholesterol check at age 20 um, as well. Um, for blood sugar, uh, again, family history that might uh, indicate a, a strong family history of type 2 diabetes, as well as some of the other signs and symptoms that we might could see on the outside. Sometimes there's a, a skin discoloration. We call it acanthosis nigricans, which just means the skin, in, um, like particularly around the neck, will be a little bit darker. Uh, and that's a sign of insulin resistance. So if we see that on exam, then we're going to check their blood sugar um, sooner rather than later on that as well. Does that help? Thank you. You're so welcome. Thank you for giving me a call uh, this morning and happy heart month. All right. So if you have a question or a comment, now is a great time to get that in. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's 877-672-7464. So I talked about how to get really good, accurate measurements on um, blood 
pressure. And that's just really so important. Um, we talked about, you know, one of the myths that we would have have uh, symptoms if we have high blood pressure. And we talked about that's just not true, especially in the early uh, stages of high blood pressure. So really keeping a watch on your blood pressure, um, even if it's just at one of the machines inside the pharmacy, um, you know, stopping and getting that checked so that you can uh, tell if there's any kind of thing outside the normal uh, that you normally see. So what is a normal uh, blood pressure? Well, we used to have guidelines that um, told us normal pressure, and then there was a category called prehypertension that people may be familiar with, um, and then um, progression into full-on hypertension. Guidelines were redone not too long ago. Normal blood pressure is is still um, 120, which is the systolic number. It's the top number. Over 80, which is the diastolic number. But we did away, or they did away, with the prehypertensive category, and now we've got an elevated um, category that runs um, to 129 for that systolic. Um, so to be diagnosed with hypertension now, it's 130 on the top. Um, and then anything over 80, we really start to take a closer look at on that bottom number there. And I get asked a lot, what do those two numbers mean? Like, what is it actually measuring? And, you know, why do why we care what they are? Well, blood pressure is measuring, I mean, the pressure inside your blood vessels. And so... It, your blood vessels carry your blood around throughout your body to all your other major organs. You know, it takes it to your brain, takes it to your kidneys, you know, all the different parts of your body, um, it, the blood gets there through your blood vessels. And so if the pressure inside of those that blood vessel is high or higher than we would like for it to be, everywhere it's pushing that blood, it's pushing extra hard. Uh, and when it pushes extra hard against things, not only does the heart give out sometimes, but the organ that the blood is being delivered to doesn't really like to be um, beat up on a whole lot. And so um, you'll see what we call end organ damage. So the uh, kind of the end of the road organ that the blood was getting to gets damaged as well. That's why we see a lot of kidney disease in folks with high blood pressure, because the kidneys in particular do not like to be beat up on. And when you've got blood pressure that is either undiagnosed or pressure that is uh, high blood pressure that we know about, but maybe not uh, treated effectively, um, then that kidney gets a lot of damage from that high pressure blood being pushed through it. And it's only going to be able to tolerate that for so long um, before it says, I'm, you know, I'm done. Like, I'm not going to be beat up anymore. And it's going to start the kidney function is going to start to decline there. Uh, so making sure that we kind of know our numbers and what those mean are really, really important. So that top number, the systolic number, is the pressure inside those blood vessels when the heart squeezes and squirts all that blood out. The second phase of the kind of the heart beat cycle is the relaxation part of the heart. So our heart beats and then it relaxes a little bit. And during that relaxation is when it refills with blood to be uh, squirted back out uh, into the body. And so the way I like to think about that relaxation phase is kind of the break um, in the activity or, or the exercise of the heart. So I often tell folks, think about if you were doing a push up, right? And um, 
you are very grateful for when you get to rest um, when you're doing push-ups or doing a wall sit or some other type of resistance training. It's very helpful when you get to kind of take a break. But if our pressure in our heart or in the blood vessels is staying too high, even when our heart is trying to rest, um, that's not doing us any good. It's like asking us to sit in a wall sit or stay kind of midway pushed up in a push-up. And it's just making our, um, our body have to work too hard. And, you know, if we pound out some push-ups, we might get some pretty cool arm muscles going on. Um, But that's not really the way our heart works. So a bigger heart doesn't make for a healthier or a stronger heart. A bigger heart um, is often not as high quality of a muscle. And the chamber is not big enough uh, to hold all the blood that we need. And uh, so then we start to see symptoms of heart failure. And I get the question a lot, doesn't heart failure just mean the heart quits? And it doesn't. You know, when the heart stops beating, that's a cardiac arrest, uh, meaning the, the rhythm of the heart and the work of the heart has arrested or stopped. Um, heart failure just means the heart is failing at being able to pump the way it's supposed to, because that is the work of the heart to pump. And so um, when we see heart failure, we see the, the symptoms of that blood not being pumped around the way it's supposed to. So we get swelling usually um, in our feet, in our legs. Um, the fluid kind of builds up there and we get a lot of um, edema or swelling. And then that fluid will also back up into the pulmonary system or into the lungs. And we start to get fluid in there where there's not supposed to be any fluid. And we'll get shortness of breath or something called a pleural effusion, which is um, fluid in the the space where um, the the cavity where the lungs are. And none of those things um, are, uh, are good. You know, and as those things progress, um, we can start to have, again, more kidney damage, uh, more heart damage as well. So the, the key to stopping some of these things or to improving the outcome if we've already got some degree of heart damage is really good, awesome control of that blood pressure. And, you know, that starts with good checkups, Um, knowing your numbers, please guys know your numbers on your um, blood pressure, know what you're what you're working with and have that conversation with your healthcare provider about what your number should be for you and your uh, particular condition. Once you know that number, then you got to get a game plan, right? You got to know what it is that you're doing uh, to address uh, that high pressure and how to bring it back down. And, you know, one of the first things is if a medication is necessary, take the dang medication. Um, You know, there are lots of different medicines that are out there. Um, So if one doesn't work for you or you weren't able to tolerate one, there are other ones that we can try as well. But making sure that we get that pressure down where it needs to be is so very, very, very important. I'm going to talk some more about some strategies for bringing blood pressure down uh, when we come back from the break. I'd love for you to give me a call. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 And my email is fit at mpbonline.org. We'll be back in just a few.
Welcome back to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, and we're talking all about heart health today in celebration of American Heart Month. I'd love to talk with you today about your heart health. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. My email is also fit at mpbonline.org if you want to shoot me an email instead of talking um, on on the air. So um, we've been talking about some myths. We've been talking about blood pressure and why it's kind of the silent killer. And we, I started uh, right before break talking about uh, blood pressure medications and why they are important. Um, we've got a large number of folks who know they have high blood pressure and um, are either not well controlled or untreated um, with that blood pressure um, reading. Uh, when we look at the kind of the data out there around prescriptions for blood pressure medications, about 25% of them that are written are never filled. Um, and so we got to talk about, you know, why that might be. Uh, for some, it might be cost. And, you know, my personal philosophy is, you know, if I write a prescription something for something that my patient cannot afford, I wasted everybody's time because um, if you can't afford it, you're not going to take it. So, uh, as I mentioned, there are lots of different uh, blood pressure medicines out there. And so if we can't afford uh, one type, work with your healthcare provider to try and find one that would fit into your budget so that you'd be able to get it and take it. Another reason that we see uh, blood pressure medicines, either the prescription not uh, started or not uh, maintained is from side effects. You know, there are different side effects with um, different kinds of medications. One of the more common medications we start folks out on is a diuretic type of medication. Um, hydrochlorothiazide or HCTZ is one of the older ones that we see folks on. Um, and one of the things we get or I hear a lot about is I have to pee all the time when I'm on that medicine. And that's a valid concern that there are some things we can do with that, maybe uh, changing the time of day that we take the medication so that you're not up all during the night um, having to pee um, and take that medication. Or can we switch you to something else? Do you really need the diuretic part? Or can we switch you to a blood pressure medication that might not have that particular side effect? So it's important to really be frank with your healthcare provider and say, I'm not going to take that, um, so that we can devise a plan uh, to maximize your heart health because it is the number one killer out there. All right, we're going to go uh, to the phones to Hernando and talk with Sharon this morning. Hello, Sharon. How are you? I'm great. Good. Uh, I have a question. Sure. Can you explain what atrial fibrillation is? Sure. And also, should we be concerned about the recalls for the blood pressure medicine? I'm so glad. So I can listen. Yeah. I'm actually really glad you just asked um, the question about the blood pressure recalls um, because I had actually gotten an email about that. So I was planning on addressing that as well. But we'll start with the first part of your question. So atrial fibrillation. So the heart has uh, four chambers. It's got two atria and two ventricles. Okay? The atria are the, uh, the two that sit on the top part of the heart. Um, the ventricles are the ones that are on the bottom. And blood moves through all four of those in a very specific pattern uh, to make sure that the blood um, goes out uh, correctly at the right rate and uh, the right force and all of those different things. With atrial fibrillation, um, think about what 
maybe what the word fibrillate sounds like to me in medicine, and I don't know if it's common knowledge, fibrillate kind of means to shake. And so those atria are kind of quivering. And so normally blood is going to move from uh, an atria to a ventricle to another atria to another ventricle and out to the body. When um, the atria are kind of quivering or fibrillating, that blood does not move as well or as completely from the atria into the ventricle. So we ultimately don't get as much output from our heart, um, which our body doesn't like. And then the blood that is kind of sitting in the atria and um, as they quiver, it can clot sometimes or start to thicken. And so when it does move into um, the ventricles for ejection into out to the body, it's thicker and clot it has more clot in it. And we worry about folks um, uh, having a, a stroke from that clot being thrown out um, from the heart. So that's kind of what it is. Um, there are different ways to treat it. Um, one of the ways is is rate control. So kind of trying to slow down that um, quivering rhythm that's going on. We can do that with different medications. Um, and then there's also um, trying to thin the blood so that um, even if the heart is quivering, the blood stays nice and, and thin and less likely to clot. Um, and so that happens with you know things like Coumadin um, or some of the, the newer ones um, like Eliquis and those types of things. Um, with uh, Or you can actually have surgery. Uh, we call it an ablation where they kind of um, burn the little spot that's causing the um, abnormal rhythm because the heart beats according to electrical pathways um, and electrical stimulation. So we've got to kind of fix the uh, the faulty electricity that's going on in the heart there. So I hope that helped a little bit about atrial fibrillation. Um, if not, you can always email me at fit at mpbonline.org, and I'm happy to get you some more information about atrial fibrillation or what we usually uh, just call AFib. Uh, now, the second part of your question uh, I mentioned is also a, a question that I got via email and it asked about the blood pressure medication recall and if you can be if you should be um, concerned. So uh, the word that I would like us to be is aware. Okay? So um, when we hear the word recall, uh, we tend to say, OK, well, I'm just going to stop doing these things. Not all blood pressure medicine has been recalled. The classes um, that uh, have are the most recalled in, in, in this batch are the um, Sartan medications, S-A-R-T-A-N. Those belong um, to a class called the ARBs or the angiotensin receptor blocker um, classes of medications. They are very, very good medications. They are um, very effective and they are also um, good for kidney health as well. Um, and we do know that if you just abruptly stop your blood pressure medication, that's bad, right? You can have um, a rebound high blood pressure where your blood pressure just goes way too high. Um, and also, if you just kind of stop taking your medicines and don't go see your healthcare provider, then even if you don't get that dangerously high blood pressure, you've now got untreated high blood pressure, and that's doing damage to all those end organs. So if you, uh, you can go to the FDA website, and it will show you all of the medicines that are recalled under that bl uh, blood pressure recall, um, and, and the manufacturer, because it's only certain manufacturers that have been recalled. And 
the best thing to do is call your pharmacy and see if your medication is part of that recall and call your healthcare provider, right? And then have that conversation with the healthcare provider that, you know, my medication's on this recall list, we need to uh, change to something else. But definitely don't just stop um, the blood pressure uh, medication. Um, Call and make sure that yours is one that's affected it. And if it is, um, make a plan with your healthcare provider on what we're going to be changed to to lower your risk of heart disease. So, I hope that helped a little bit um, with uh, with with that. Again, if you need more information or you need a link to the that FDA page on those recalls, you can always email me at fit at mpbonline.org. Um, now's a great time to give us a call. We've got a couple of open lines, and we're we're heading into the kind of latter part of the show. So our number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. And I've mentioned that email several times. That is a great way to get into contact with us at Southern Remedy if you don't get your question in. And mine is fit at mpbonline.org. So, you know, I've I've talked about making sure your blood pressure is under control, why we want to have our blood pressure to be under control. Um, But blood pressure is only part of the picture. It's certainly a crucial, vital part um, of decreasing your heart disease risk, but cholesterol is right there next to it. Um, And so I want to talk about um, how we can work on our cholesterol, um, whether that be through medication or whether that be through lifestyle changes or whether it's through both of those things. Um, And so we're going to take our last break of the hour. And when we come back, we'll be talking about cholesterol and what those numbers mean um, and uh, what your next step should be should you um, find out that you have high cholesterol. Um, Is it a family thing? Is it um, something that um, is hereditary? Um, And why, if you have to take medication, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's the uh, that that's a failure. Um, I'll kind of share my personal story with uh, cholesterol as well um, as we go through this because I had a little a little pity party for myself with cholesterol not too uh, long ago, and we've just got to kind of um, reset and refocus um, on how we address those types of. Um, of issues that we have when when a bump gets thrown in in our uh, roadmap or our plan um, for a healthy heart. So we'll go ahead and take that last break of the hour. And when we come back, we'll be talking about cholesterol. You can give me a call at one eight seven seven MPB ring.
Welcome back to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, and we're talking about heart health today to celebrate American Heart Month. Um, if you've got a question or a comment, now's a great time to get those in. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 7464 My email is fit at org, and that's a great way to get in touch with us as well. And before the break, I mentioned uh, that we'll be talking a little bit about cholesterol this last part of the show. And that ties in perfectly with an email question that we got over the break that asked if there is a hereditary factor to heart disease. So absolutely there can be. So we know that heart disease um, runs in families. Now, is that due to genetics, you know, to the actual um, genetic makeup or predisposition of us? Or is it due to the fact that families tend to have very similar lifestyle behaviors? They tend to eat the same way and, and, you know, that type of thing. And, you know, it's some of both. Um, there are, are data to support some of that. Um, it also goes along with one of the myths about um, heart disease that's, you know, well, my mom had it, my dad had it, my grandmama had it, so I'm going to have it. I might as well just do whatever I want to anyway. And that's not the case. So just because something runs in the family doesn't mean that it is your destiny to do uh, to follow the same path. Uh, we can uh, decrease your risk even when there is a strong family history or strong genetic predisposition um, to developing those things um, by changing um, our lifestyle or by taking uh, the medications when we need to. So um, cholesterol is one of those factors that... Um, can be hereditary, not only from just a, a, a mildly elevated cholesterol, but to a, a more significant uh, disorder called familial hypercholesterolemia, um, which is an actual kind of genetic mutation that causes you um, to have really high LDL levels. So when we talk about cholesterol, there are a couple of um, numbers that you usually see on your cholesterol report. Uh, one is total cholesterol. Total cholesterol in and of itself doesn't tell us really a whole lot um, about uh, risk. We still look at it, but we want to look at the parts of the cholesterol um, to really gauge uh, what's going on. So there's the LDL, there's the LDL, like HDL, LDL, sorry, and triglycerides. So HDL is usually... Um, uh, Sometimes folks refer to it as the happy cholesterol. Um, it is what we call good cholesterol. So it is um, protective to the heart, helps us get rid of some of the things that we don't want. And so HDL, H happy, H high. So we want that number to be a little bit higher. So um, it's usually weird when you get a report and somebody tells you we want this number to be a little bit higher when we're talking about cholesterol. But in HDL, we do want it to be a little bit higher. Um, at least in the 50s um, or 60s um, is a good uh, number to shoot for there. For the LDL, um, LDL is the bad cholesterol or what the way we sometimes uh, teach it to folks is the lousy cholesterol, L lousy, and also L low. We want it to be lower. There used to be very, very hard and fast rules about um, those cutoffs when we wanted that LDL 
LDL to be less than 100. Now it's more individualized based off of other risk factors like your blood pressure and your blood sugar and whether you smoke and all of those different kinds of things. Um, but we still want it closer uh, to 100 uh, would where, is where we want it to hang out. I like uh, for some of my patients even to be less less than that and closer to you know 70 on that LDL. Um, and so some of the ways we do that, uh, diet and exercise are great ways to um, increase HDL and lower LDL. But in a case of familial hypercholesterolemia, so that genetic disorder we talked about, um, that LDL is going to be high, very high, and not necessarily in relationship to uh, the diet or the physical activity of the person. So um, uh, I said I was going to share my personal story. Uh, you know, I am pretty active. You know, I'm a fitness instructor. You know, I walk or run most days, teach fitness classes. So my exercise kind of feel is, is you know, pretty decent as far as um, aerobic activity there. And then my diet is pretty... Um, pretty good as well you know i'm a plant-based i eat a plant-based diet so i don't eat any meat or um butter or dairy or cheese or eggs or any of those things so just plants and whole grains um for me so um statistically it would be expected that my cholesterol would be very very good uh, well my cholesterol is not very 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 good um and my ldl in particular was very not good and so we had to start looking at some things and it does look like i'm going to be one of those that has um, that genetic issue going on with my cholesterol so i had a pity party for myself a little bit you know i eat right i exercise and my cholesterol is still high so why do i bother um well i bother because it's more about that one number um, on a lab report. It's about how my joints feel and how my heart feels and how my blood pressure is and how my blood sugar is and how my mental health is because all of those things are related together and keeping us as healthy as we can be for as long as we can be. So um, I swallowed the pill literally and started um, a cholesterol medication to help um, help with that, to help decrease my risk even further, knowing that I was doing um, all that I could as far as exercise and diet to do that. So, um, you know, that would be what I call a bump in my road um, to living a healthy lifestyle. And it would be very, very easy to get discouraged at that point and say, to heck with it, I'm going to go eat all the things. But that's not that's not the case. Don't let um, blips in the road or sometimes I call them potholes. Don't let them derail your whole journey. Um, stay the course, refocus, reset. Remember why you're doing the things that you do. Um, finding your why is so very, very, very important when you're um, looking at your overall health and how you want to, um, what kind of behaviors you might want to change. Um, it's finding your why, you know, and maybe that's that you want to get into a pair of um, pants that you haven't been able to get into or that you want to be able to tie your shoelaces without being out of breath. You know, be able to play with your grandkids without your knees hurting you. Everyone has a why. And everyone's why is different. But find your why um, and find a plan or make a plan um, to get you closer to the things that you want um, your story to turn out like. You know, um, I always say everyone has a story. 
Um, everyone's story is important. Everyone's story has led them to where um, where they are and the decisions that they've made. Um, but I want people to um, be able to write the end of that story themselves and not think that the end is already written because of family history or because of uh, circumstances. There are always things that we can do. Um, to work on any of the risk factors that you may have uh, for heart disease. So we really touched mainly on blood pressure and cholesterol today. There, There's more to it than that, and, you know, I'll be coming back at you um, every week as we talk about healthy behaviors and how they can uh, lead to our overall health and wellness. If you didn't get a chance um, to give me a call today or to get your email in, you can always do that. That email is fit at mpbonline.org. And you can send me those emails anytime and I'll get back to you on that. Also encourage you to go to the American Heart Association website and take a look around there. There are tons of uh, tools and information there to help you. Um, There's shopping lists that help with um, lower fat foods and lower uh, salt foods as well, which can uh, be a big factor in heart disease. And then there's also something there that I would encourage you to take, I challenge you actually to take it um, this month. It is called My Life Check, and it is a little questionnaire where you put in your blood pressure and your cholesterol and some other um, questions about your diet and your physical activity, and it will give you a heart risk score. It's a great thing to do. Print out and take to your healthcare provider for you to review together and develop a plan. It is free to take that test. It is also um, not time consuming. I did it right before I came in today. It took me about three minutes to get that and gave me a lot of great information. So that's called My Life Check. Um, I challenge you to uh, find something to uh, show your heart how much you love it this month in American Heart Month. And I've enjoyed spending my Monday with you on Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. <laughs> 